Well, I had to wear my steel-toed Crocs as I prepared this sermon. Glad everybody's here today. Uh, Romans chapter 13, we're going to finish it. <coughs> Five weeks. It's good, though. Saw Marky on the church sign and said, Something is seriously wrong when the world is, is offended by everything but sin. That's the season we are in. I pray that we all have thought about the seasons and the times. Many believe that time is on their side. I beg to differ. Paul does also. Last week we saw that time is not on our side. The scripture said that we should know the season. We should understand that the hour is here to wake up. We know that our time is limited. We understand our position in time. We know that the night has just about run its course and the daybreak is at hand. Have you ever gotten up before the sun rises? And, and if you haven't, you know what I'm talking about. But if you look over the horizon, you can see the light coming up. You can't quite see the source of the light, but, but you know that it's going to show itself soon. It gets brighter and brighter. And then all of a sudden, bam, the sun crests the horizon and and that light is no longer shining up you know it's shining directly at you when it peaks the uh, horizon well that's where we are in the timetable of god's redemptive plan in human history that's, that's where we are the night has just about run its course we can we can see the light on the horizon we know that daybreak is just about here and the word tells us to wake up wake up we've been called to wake up because we know the time our text says, verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. God's children must be vigilant, alert, and not caught unaware. Wake up, stop sleeping, quit napping, quit nodding off. You know, that's the way we are to live our lives. We'd be here to wake and alert at all times when it comes to the seasons and to the things of God, amen? We cannot be asleep like some do. Please turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Just turn over there real quick and follow along as I read 3 through 7. Talks about the time. It says, knowing, verse 3, this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water through water by the word of God. And that means of these, the world that, the, that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, 
being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So there are, there are seasons that there is a time. Many do not believe so. In the end times, it says scoffers were calm. They go, where's your God? Where are you, God? We get up and go to work every day. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. The only thing changes is sometimes we get rain. And they think nothing about the things of God. They are the ones who have forgotten who God is, who do not believe that there is a creator. You know, used to, when you witness to somebody, most of them understood that there was a God. They understood that there was a creator, but we're past that now. We, we had to back up all the way and prove there's a creator and that there is a God. They don't even believe that there is a God. But us who believe, who are awake, understand the times, and we know that the consummation of our salvation is nearer than it has ever been. So we've been called to wake up, and then we see that we've been called to clean up. We are awake when it comes to the things of God, and when our eyes are open, then we should be able to see that we have a desire to clean up. The word says, Let's, let, let us cast off the works of the darkness, cast off the filthy garments of world, worldliness. That is everything associated with unrighteousness and evil. And we talked about that last week, how we're cast off and then put on. We don't we don't put on a beautiful white suit over our dirty, nasty clothes. We, we cast off and then put on. And know, know this, that the casting off is continuous. It, it's continuous. It's not a one-time thing. It's an action that is part of our sanctification. Paul was telling the Colossians, he, he said, keep on laying aside. Keep on laying aside to continually cast off sins. We are to keep on making the right choices when it comes to good and evil. We are to continually flee from sin. Yes, we are new creations in Christ. The old has passed away, but the renewal process is continual. And this process is energized by constant exposure to God's word and continuously seeking the things above. We are called to action. <clears throat> so we cast off and we should put on the armor of life, which means we put on that the protective covering of a holy life. Now think about this. When, when do people put on armor? Do we put it on when we get ready for bed? No, that would be a restless night of sleep. Even though sometimes at my age, I feel like I have armor on trying to turn over in the bed. When, when do we put the armor on? We, 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 put it, we put the armor on when we're going into battle, right? Remember, we're, we're in a battle. We cast off all sin. We cover ourselves with the right armor to protect us from the next attack. Here, Paul says, put on the armor of light, but he gives us more detail about a believer's armor in Ephesians 6, 14 through 18. Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What is the time we are in? What is the season? Dark times, evil day. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Did you catch that? Having done all to stand firm? Again, we have a responsibility here. We're called out to do all that we know to do in order to stand firm. 
We don't just run out in the middle of the battlefield with no armor on and say, well, God has this. Let God be God, and he's going to do what he wants to do. I don't need any protection. God's in control. And if we do it that way, what happens is we get hit by an arrow, and then we roll out on the ground, and, oh, we got hit. Oh, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen to me. God was supposed to protect me. God was supposed to be with me. And so instead of questioning God like that and asking God, you know, uh, uh, we should be questioning ourselves instead of questioning God. Did I fasten on the belt of truth before I went out there? Have I put on the breastplate of righteousness? Do I wear Air Jordans or do I put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace? In all circumstances, do I hold up the shield of faith, which I can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one? I know I have a hard head, but I still need that helmet of salvation on and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I need to be prepared. That's a lesson to be shared, said the old goat, Japheth. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So before we question God, where were you when I got hit by this fiery dart? We need to do a self-examination and ask, have I done all that God has asked me to do? Have I been in prayer? Have I put on the armor that he is freely offering? Am I walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? You see, we all have a part in this. We have certain responsibilities as a child of God. Paul is calling us out here in Romans. We see it you know, time after time. Be awake. Be alert. Know the times. Cast off. Put on all our actions when we're involved. God wants us to be involved. That's his plan. That's his plan for us. I have a new set of memory verses for myself. Know this. Memory verses are not just about memorization to show you how smart I am. That's not going to happen. Listen, memories, memorization is about revelation and transformation. You know, that's why we memorize God's word. And that's why I fall in love with Colossians 1, 10 through 14. Listen, it does a great job of summing up what we have been learning here in Romans. And I fell in love with this text. Listen to this. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Give me thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in, in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, I'm going to read that every day for a while because that's God calling us out. He's telling us who we are. He's telling us how to act. He's telling us to have patience and joy because he's got it. He is in control, but he wants us to be part of it. You know, have you ever had one of those texts just jump out at you and hit your heart? I know you have. I know you have. That's what happened when I read this. Called out. Get into the game. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Oh, that's what my heart's desire is. 
but I have to ask myself, is that what I'm doing with my time now that I know the seasons? Now that I share in the inheritance of the saints in life, now that Christ has delivered me from the dominion of darkness, now that I am in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, do I walk worthy? Do I? Does the love of God mean so much to me that each day I put on the armor of life before I go out? Do I trust in God's own light that provides divine protection in my battle against Satan's supernatural powers of darkness? Do I really believe that the armor of light protects me from the natural darkness of human sin? Listen, if we trust in Jesus for our complete salvation, which we do, then for sure we can trust that the armor he has provided for us to go into battle will cover us. Amen. We have to trust. We can put our trust in the armor of light. Know this, when it comes to light in the scripture, it means upright, Christ-honoring living. That's who we are. We're to live in the light. When you hear the word light, the scriptures of 1 John 1, 5 through 7 should come to mind. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I found it interesting that the word said, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Think about that. Our relationship with one another is made right by walking in the light. Ponder that. There's many scriptures that call us to be the light and, and to be in the light. Ephesians 5, 7 says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness. That, that's who we were. We, we're not that anymore. But now we are in the light of the Lord, he says. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Hey, the only way that you can expose the works of darkness, be a light. Be a light. First Thessalonians 5 through 8. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us. Keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And we all know John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The scriptures say that God is light and that we are the children of the light and we are to put on the armor of light. That takes us back to Romans, right? The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Can you hear all this in the text that I just read? So then let us cast off the works of the darkness, put on the armor of light, 
let us walk properly as in the daytime, that is, in the light. Lettuce is not just a salad anymore, is it? It's a call to action. It's a call to obedience. Let us walk properly, he says. Let us walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Let us walk in the daytime. Let us walk in the light. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, Paul gives us a, a list of some of the stuff that we're to put off. He says, when we put them off, we will start, we will begin to walk properly. We will walk as children of God. We will start walking worthy of the Lord. He says, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So the word tells us to wake up here. It tells us to clean up. Paul gives us a list of things that are, these are the works of the flesh. These are not works of the spirit. These are things that characterize humanity in rebellion against its creator. We learned about that back in Romans 1. And these are sins that are mainly done at night. They reflect spiritual darkness rather than light. They reflect the night of unrighteousness rather than the day of righteousness. And now that we are children of God, now that we are children of the light, we have a new loyalty to doing what is right. There, there's, a, there's a change. Remember, we're transformed. There's a change in the way we live. And our conduct should reflect our new allegiance. The world should know who we are. Our conduct should reflect light. Christ has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And so that's the way we should act. And we have to keep that in mind whenever we see it. Whenever we see a list of sins in the scriptures, you know, we've, we've gone over them over the past few weeks. Whenever we read about what the world does and then what we do, we have to keep in mind that we have a new loyalty to do what is right because of who we are. Remember, that's who we used to be. We're not that anymore. I think Philippians 2.15 said the best. It says our testimony should radiate God's goodness. We are to be blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. We are to shine like stars in the universe. And the way we do it is that we flee from orgies and drunkenness. Listen, many will say, you know, yes, no Christian should have any part of sexual sins. But when it comes to drunkenness, no, we might let that slide just a little bit, you know, because the Bible does say, you know, doesn't say you can't drink. So, you know, that, you know, we kind of like brush that off a little bit. Listen, in the scriptures, we see drunkenness is mentioned many, many times. Ephesians said that drunkenness is debauchery or that it leads to debauchery. Debauchery is extreme indulgence in bodily pleasures and especially sexual pleasures. Drunkenness is feeding the flesh. It's not being filled by the, it's not filling the body with the, the Holy Spirit. Drunkenness leads to darkness instead of light. It is debauchery and we should flee from it. The next two sins listed here are sexual immorality and sensuality. So sensuality has the basic meaning of shameless excess and the absence of restraint. 
Just like the first two sins listed here, one feeds the other or it leads to the other. Sensuality gives way to sexual immorality. You see the pattern here in these words? The third set of sins that Paul listed out here is not in quarreling and jealousy. Quarreling is, is persistent contention, bickering, petty disagreements, and enmity. This is one who is seeking an argument. It, it reflects a spirit of competitiveness that fights to have its own way, regardless of the cost of self or anyone else. It is the opposite of humility and love. And then we have jealousy. This is selfish ambition. This is a, an attitude of covetousness or envy, which is idolatry. It's an attitude of the heart. Now, think about this. Remember this. In this section of Romans, he's dealing with, with relationships, right? Our relationship with God, our right relationship with people outside the church, our relationship with the government, and our relationship within the church body. And so the sins that are listed here deal with the sinner and their relationship with others, and it all starts with self, and then it goes out from there. You see, drunkenness is a sin that, that one does to itself, to himself. But if it continues, it could lead to sexual sin, so it affects others. Sensuality is a sin that comes from one's own heart. But if one does not flee from it, it will give way to sexual immorality. It affects others. Jealousy is in the heart. But if not squashed, it will cause quarreling with others. It affects others. You see how these sins that, that many will say, well, well, it's kind of okay because it's just a personal sin. That's, that's, their, that's their sin. It's not affecting others. But it does. It will actually bring in others if not annihilated. We must put to death the, quote, personal sins because they do affect our relationship with others. Because if, if left unchecked, they will destroy relationships. A good question is, what does a Christian have to do with wild parties, drunken brawls, sex orgies, and orgies and vile excess? And the answer is nothing, absolutely nothing. We should have no part in that. And the church will be quick to point out those sins. Those are bad. Do not do them. Flee. So another good question would be, why is bickering and evil in this list? Those sins are not as bad as those other ones. We like to throw rocks at the other ones. They, maybe these don't really belong in this list. Well, they do. They do. We should also be asking, what does a Christian have to do with quarreling and jealousy? And the answer should be nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. It's interesting that Paul linked jealousy and quarreling with immorality, but he does. He does. You know, we're talking about relationships here, correct? Well, I don't have the answer to this, but I had this thought as I was studying. I wonder what has destroyed more relationships, immorality or bickering and envy? All of that, right? Which one has caused more division in the church? Listen to the two specific fleshly sins that caused deep partisan division in the church in Corinth. Corinth had a, they had a big mess up there. 
for sure, but listen to this. First Corinthians 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still in the flesh. Why are they still in the flesh? What's the big problem that they got going on there? Well, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Wow. So when it comes to relationships and sins that affect relationships, strife and jealousy is right up there with immorality. The actions and attitudes that are listed out here in Romans have no place in a Christian's life. He belongs to the light. These deeds and thoughts belong to the darkness. We have no part of it. We are called to put them off. Put them off for the sake of the gospel. Put them off for the sake of the unity of the church. That's what Paul's teaching on here in Romans. Unity of the church. Sin brings in disunity with the church. Whether it's personal sin or any other sin, we are to put it off whether we want to believe it or not. These personal sins will end up affecting the church body. They will. We need to flee. We have to flee. Not for self, not only for self, but for the good of all. Amen? Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, but not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So wake up from sleep, cast off that darkness, put on the armor of light, let us walk properly. How are we able to do all this? How are we able to do everything that God has commanded us to do without growing weary? Well, we know by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, but God's telling us, hey, you got a part too. Get involved. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we clothe ourselves with Christ. Ephesians 4.24 says, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10, And to have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We're in Christ. We're in a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are in Christ. This is our call to grow up. Wake up, clean up, grow up. I want you to get this picture in your mind here about putting on Christ. Before we came to Christ, the old self was dirty, sweaty, nasty, just stank, right? But when we came to Christ, we became a new creation. God started cleaning us up, off with the old, on with the new, off with the old, on with the new. Now, at that moment, not only did we become a child of God, we also became a warrior for God. And, and, and that's when we started singing, I'm in the Lord. Yes, sir. Classic, right? Heard that so many times in the minivan. <laughs> Y'all be singing it all day now. Now, 
if you know anything about being a warrior, before he puts on his armor, he puts on a layer of special protective clothing, and then he puts on the armor. So between the warrior and his armor is a special protective clothing. For us who are in the Lord's army, that special clothing is Christ, you see. God cares about his soldiers. He supplies them with all they need, like our hymn that we just sung earlier. They are clothed in Christ, and then they are protected by the full armor of God. The armor protects them from the enemy's weapons. And being clothed properly gives the soldier the ability to do what he's commanded to do. If the soldier just put on nothing but armor, he wouldn't last long in the battle because the armor is going to rub him wrong. He's going to get uncomfortable. It's going to limit his ability to do what God has commanded him to do. But having on that protective layer between the armor and self, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the soldier is able to stand in the battle. He's able to stand and do whatever God has commanded him to do. So what is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, take notice that Paul used all three titles here. Lord Jesus and Christ right here. So this, so this means there's much more than just putting on the character of, of Jesus. There's more here. First of all, this letter is written to believers Right? Written to the church in Rome, to people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. They trust that Jesus has paid the debt for their sin. They trust that Jesus has reconciled them to a holy God. Their sins have been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus. Now, as a believer, so now they're believers, what does putting on the Lord Jesus Christ mean? It means that we make a conscious acceptance of the lordship of Christ. You know, hear people go, well, I was a Christian for a long time, but I didn't make it Lord of my life till later. Just know that God, you know, Jesus is Lord, whether we, quote, make him or not. He is Lord. But we make this conscious acceptance of the Lordship of Christ. We make Jesus Lord of our lives. We, we, are, we are placing all of our desires and actions under his control. We live in conformity to his mind and will. We live as Christ would live. We live as though Christ lives within us. He does, right? He does. We're continually doing what Jesus would do without grumbling. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, it is a continual, a continuing spiritual growth of those who have become children of God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. It is a continuing spiritual growth. Again, action. It didn't just happen one time. I put on Jesus and I'm done. No, it's, it's continual. What's the result? As we put on Christ, as we grow, the old clothing of sinful thoughts and habits are continually being discarded. His divine clothing of righteousness, truth, holiness, and love is being put on at all times. There's a change. And as the process of sanctification progresses, the Lord's character becomes more and more our own character. We become more Christ-like. If we as believers could get this one, if we could get one thing right, it should be to continually 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul had in mind when he said he only had one thing to do. That was to pursue the goal of Christ's likeness. He said, I got one thing to do. If I could get that down, you know, this other stuff be a whole lot easier. Be a whole lot easier. We grow from one level of Christ's glory to another as we faithfully study and meditate on his word, as we commune with him in prayer, as we rely on his Holy Spirit. We grow from one level of Christ's glory to another as we faithfully study, meditate on his word, as we commune with him in prayer, as we rely on his Holy Spirit. We exemplify the qualities Jesus showed while he was here on this earth. We can read about him in the Gospels or do what we're told here in, the, in Romans. It's the same thing. Love God and our neighbors as we love ourselves. Humble ourselves. Show humility. Seek truth. Do good. All for his glory. So becoming like Christ doesn't just happen. We have to train ourselves as soldiers in God's army. We train ourselves by using the spiritual weapons that God has provided for us. We pray. We study the Bible and meditate on God's word. We fellowship with other believers. We spur one another on. We adopt Jesus's whole lifestyle. We live as he lived. We look at him as our example on how to love and how to live life. We put on the armor of God. And finally, we train our minds not to be persuaded by our desires for gratification. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is where we grow up. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ means to become more like him, to receive by faith all that he is for our daily living. We train in spiritual weapons that he has provided and we grow on the base. And so that when we do that, we know that we grow on the basis of the food we eat, right? This is why God warns us not to make provision for the flesh. If we feed the flesh, we will fail. But if we feed the inner man, the nourishing things of the spirit, we will succeed. We will have victory. So we grow on the basis of the food we eat. We are children of the light and we live in the light. And that means that we are continually thinking about how to avoid gratifying simple desires. We make no provision. You know, a, a sinful action doesn't just like drop on the scene. You, you know, meaning that a sin never takes us by surprise. Wait, hey, where'd that come from? I, I didn't see that there. No, that's not how it works. We see sin coming. We really do. You see, sinful actions and sinful attitudes all start with a single thought, with a peeny-weeny thought. It all starts with a little provision of the flesh, which leads to gratifying those fleshly desires. A temptation becomes an opportunity to plan to sin. All with a little thought. We know what James 1, 14 says. But each person is tempted. When is he tempted? When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it is conceived, has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So when a person is tempted, when he is enticed by his own desire, then he's lured in. How does all this happen? By a teeny weeny thought. Just give it a little bit of thought. And next thing you know, we're making provision. As innocent as imagination may seem to be, if thinking about the wrong things, if it's thinking about the wrong things, it actually leads us towards sin. If we don't make plans to crush our fleshly desires, then those desires will end up giving birth to sin, which leads to death. We have to put off those desires. We have to put on Christ. How do you do that? Well, we take every thought captive. Every thought. That's how we put on Christ. That's how we walk in the light. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We take those thoughts captive. We don't give a little bit thought of anything that's not of God. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. There we go. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. As children of God, we have to get our minds right. And we do that by practicing these things. It is a battle. And we're called to train in the weapons that God has given us. Training in these things will make us better soldiers. So we have a lot to chew on today. And as you can see, we have a lot to do. We don't just get saved and lay on the sofa down in the basement, mom's house. No. We're called to wake up, wake up from sleep, cast off the work of the darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Take every thought captive. And if we'd spend our time doing all that, I don't think we'd have time to get in trouble. That's a big list. I'll email it to you if I need to. That's why I wore my steel-toed cross. But I want you to leave with this thought. Our spiritual armor is the light of God's own holiness and purity. God desires his children to be constantly clothed in the armor of light. It is the clothing of spiritual purity and integrity. It is a reflection of our Lord's holiness. And if the church body would put on the armor of light every day, and if the church body would put on the Lord Jesus Christ every day, the light of the church would be blinding to a lost and dying world. The world may not see or recognize the light of God, but that doesn't matter. We are called to keep on shining like stars in the universe. Amen? That's right.